When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm Carl Anker. We do the podcast every, we record it on Tuesdays. You guys hear it on Wednesdays. Um, follow us wherever you follow us, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there, Spotify. Check us out. Apple Podcasts, check us out. Um, Carl, where can people find your work? I work over on The Athletic, where I am one of the Manchester United reporters, and I also write about loads of other things in the rare times where Manchester United don't dominate the newscape. Tell the people about your other podcasts. Oh, you can also find me on the Wrighty's House podcast with Ian Wright, uh, Musuak Wonga, and Ryan Hun, as well as Mara Quandry, uh, Jeanette Kwache, and Floyd Lowett-Hughes. You can also find me on Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast on The Athletic as well. Um, yeah, Half Hope is at halfhopefootballhut.com. Check him out there. I don't know what's, what he's up to. I know he was with his mother for her for her birthday on Easter Sunday. So I don't know if his sleep schedule has been messed up um, since, but you know, well wishes to devil H as always. You can follow me at Daniel to look my writings down off target. I smashed the window on my fingers this, like this morning. So Brother. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to type. Like I, I have half an article ready to go, but I'm just kind of, hold on. Can you see my middle finger? I was kind of black. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I smashed it pretty hard so like it, th- there's a window in the house that has bad hydraulics and i forgot so i lifted up the window and it smashed my fingers so yeah um because it's easter week because it was an easter weekend and we, and we got monday off work um and i i took full advantage of the monday off work i've now got to cram in five days worth of work into four days which means i'll most likely end up working both saturday sunday this weekend to get it all it, done did, did you go to games over the weekend no, no, I haven't nope. been to a football game in the flesh in uh, quite a bit of time, actually. Hmm. I think that the last game I attended was the, it in Netherlands. It might have been. No, totally. It was. It was women's football weekend. Hmm. So during the international break, I watched Manchester United women's team play against West Ham women's team, um, and and there was the trip to Amsterdam where I watched Ajax uh, versus Feyenoord, which was. Quite special. Um, so yeah, where, where were we? You can find my writing at Off Target. Um, all the links to everything are in the description. Carl, his work, podcast, Half Hope, his website, etc. My writing. There we go. All right. So you wanted to start with the manager ma- managerial merry-go-round. Yeah. So Dean Smith has. Well, Brendan Rodgers was sacked from Leicester. Dean Smith mm-hmm. has taken his spot. Um, Graham Potter was sacked. Lampard stepped in. Mm-hmm. Was it Nottingham Forest? Did they sack? They haven't. No, no. Steve no. Cooper is oh, still in charge Steve at the Cooper, moment, okay. which is which feels interesting in that, you know, if I told you at the start that, you know, if, if you went through the time portal and went, Carl, 13 managers are going to get sacked in the Premier League this season before Steve Cooper. I go, what? Because mm. uh, Nottingham Forest have such a reputation for, for sacking managers. Steve Cooper is pretty much the longest serving Forest manager in a long time. And yet he might go soon. So, you know, between now and the end of the season, we could have a situation where 14 managers are dismissed. So Smith yeah. and Lampard have, have stepped in. What are your thoughts Con- on the movement, so to speak? The Dean Smith one does not move me. Uh, he... I don't like Dean Smith for the only fact that like there's only one Dean Smith. And he was the head coach of North Carolina basketball from like <laughs> 1960-something to 1996 or 1997. Okay, There's only okay. one Dean Smith. And he's a GOAT. He's the greatest college basketball coach. John Wooden. Dean Smith. So I don't know who this Dean Smith is. Dean Smith has confused me for a while. You know, he's he's the man. Did I just manager. say John Wooden? I don't mean that, by the way. I'm just, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go for Dean it. Smith confused me for a while. So, you know, he, he was the manager responsible for, for getting Aston Villa back in the Premier League uh, and keeping Aston Villa in the Premier League, albeit with the help of a football that didn't have its goal line technology switched on. But there was a point in time when I was watching I was watching that Villa team in 1920 and going, I don't, what are they doing? 
When you said 1920, I thought you meant actual 1920, like <laughs> post World War One. 2019, 2020 season. I watched. I watched. They were on te- television quite a bit. Also helped by the fact that during lockdown one, all the games were televised, mm. uh, and I watched them, and they didn't seem particularly great, especially during those lockdown bits. They stay up the season after that. They kick on, and I thought, oh, maybe Smith's onto something here. Uh, and then not really. Grealish leaves. He's in charge a bit longer. You spend a decent amount of money. You're going, okay, I'm going to get a clear idea of what you want to do. You get sacked. He takes control of Norwich. He's not a very good Norwich manager, although I'm not quite sure what a good Norwich manager is. So, yeah, Dean Smith at Aston Villa, that just strikes me as Leicester City needing a manager because they were really bad against Bournemouth. Uh, we, we know they had a look at Rafa Benitez, but their number one choice was Graham Potter, and Potter's respectfully declined. Uh, as a Chelsea fan... How do you feel about Potter being sacked? Who are you talking to? <laughs> You're right. We, we, don't any, we don't have any Chelsea fans here. Uh, as someone, no, 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 I got you. I got you. Uh, as what, someone what, who celebrated Chelsea's victory, Champions League victory in 2021. <laughs> no, actually, in 2012. Yes, in, in 2012. Thank you for specifying. Yes. Um, well, what's what's your question? I'll I'll take the mantle. Go for it. How how do you feel about the sacking of? Graham Potter and and the incoming Frank Lampard. It's a mess. The reason I wanted to have hope here, it was only to ask this question. <laughs> so your football club is being run by James Corden, like a shadow government or whatever it would be. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But James Corden is apparently being tapped by Todd Bowley for footballing advice, who I think is a West Ham fan, if I have this correct. So yes. I'm like, I don't know what to expect from, from no, 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 today to, to, other than chaos. <laughs> I think it's a new ownership trying to figure out what to do, but also trying to look as if they're competent at the same time. And mm-hmm. I don't think those things can really work together. Either you know what you're doing and you do it, or you don't know what you're doing and you get help. Do you get help from James Corden? Do you get help from, I don't know who? I saw Lampard, I think it was the Liverpool game. I saw him there. I just didn't think anything of it. But then <laughs> like the news is coming out that, yo, Lampard's coming. I was like, what? Like, it's shocking, but then once you, like, rationalize it into, like, these guys don't know what they're up to, why wouldn't Lampard make sense to them? He's been here before. He knows half the squad. He's a he's a club legend. There's already this kind of energy that's mm-hmm. against the ownership. I mean, they were on the back foot just from their passport. Hiring Frank Lampard is something that you can do that immediately drums up support, at especially in West London, because everybody loves Frank Lampard. There's a lot of people who didn't want him sacked in the first place. There were a lot of people who couldn't enjoy the Tuchel run because they were angry that Frank Lampard was sacked. Local Chelsea fans. So we call them proper Chelsea fans. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when when you look at all the parts and pieces, it makes sense why someone like Todd Bowley and I think his name's Ekbali, the, the kind of co-owners, why they would do it. But if you look at it from footballing sense, I'm sure you could speak to this a little bit better, but in a footballing sense, it doesn't compute. Yeah. The, the James Corden thing was reported in one of the English tabloids that he may have helped recommend Frank Lampard. Uh, <laughs> so it's also important to know that Todd Bowley also is in charge of Golden Globes, right? Like he's got right. he's got fingers in the entertainment world as well. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read too much into it. I don't, I don't think, you know... No, no, man, no, it's real. It must be real. I don't think Corden said you should pick Frank Lampard out of all these three. I think what is more likely to have happened <laughs> is Todd Bowley somehow was on in conversation with Corden uh, and went, oh yeah, we, I think we're thinking about Frank Lampard and Corden might have went, oh, he's nice. Did you hear the ascent? <laughs> that's that's the, that's, that's, to do with it is the problem. That's the reality. That's the reality I'm choosing to believe. Right? I don't not, care how, how slight the contact was that James Corden is being mentioned in tandem with Chelsea football headlines. It's odd. It's odd. It's, it's odd. It's odd. To say the least. What was also odd, interesting, however you want to read it, was uh, when Frank Lampard was announced, Todd Bowley brought up the fact that Frank Lampard's in the Premier League Hall of Fame, which is the first time I've read a press release or a club statement that's mentioned an individual being a Premier League Hall of Famer, unless the person is already, unless they're saying this person is going the Hall of Fame today, right? The Hall of Fame still... You don't think it matters? It's still, I think... The Hall of Fame has been a, a bit of a damp squid, squib in the UK. It, it's not really done 
well to generate conversation here. Uh, there's no physical place apart from a small exhibit in a football museum. I think a lot more could be done with the concept of the Premier League Hall of Fame. Do you know and the problem quite... with like the initial parts of, not to cut you, but the initial problem with the Hall of Fame is the first people who are elected are obvious. Yes. The, the only reason that you, that the, the, the best part about the Hall of Fame is the debate of whether such and such is a Hall of Famer. Yes. Like there's there's no debate about whether Michael Jordan or Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell or Hall of Famers, of course. So that first inaugural wave of players, whether I think it was Terry Henry, Alan mm-hmm. Shearer, like there's no debate. So yeah, of course they're Hall of Famers. What will get interesting is when let's say Yaya Toure gets in before Rio Ferdinand or something right. like that. And now you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, how is he in the like how is he first ballot or second ballot ahead of this guy? So once we start getting into like lim- limiting the number of spots and then who gets in before whom, that's when the debate will arise. And once debate arises, then maybe that gives the institution a bit more credibility. But initially, oh, you're putting Wenger and Sir Alex? Oh, yeah. my God. How could you? It's like it, it's, it's, warming, it's warming up now. And, I'll, you know caveat yeah. of when it was started a lot of i think a lot of its plans were hamstrung by the pandemic mm. but for the most part i'm not too moved by who's in and out of the call of fame uh when there are ex-pros who've been put in there i'm happy for them as much as they are happy mm. and some people are more vocally happy about being in the hall of fame than others do people give speeches yes or is there it was just like more a, ceremonial there was a hall of fame celebration for a couple of the people admitted and it was you know in a really nice swanky hotel in mayfair west london and i went that's probably not how you should do it no nah, you have to do it in you have to rent out hyde park or wherever you have right? to make it huge you have to like in, invite the whole family yeah it shouldn't make it be pop and circumstance and just everything you shouldn't have your hall of fame announcement and speech be in a five-star hotel Mm-mm. on a midweek it should be it's got to be with the people this is this is my thought. That's what I would do if I was in charge of the Hall of Fame. But I'm not. So anyway, mm. and the fact that Todd Bowley, <laughs> the fact that Todd Bowley went Frank Lampard's the Premier League Hall of Famer. Mm. Well, I'm like, not, but so what? See, this is the problem, Carl. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're a good manager. I don't care if he's in the Hall of Fame. Is is he going to make the Hall of Fame as a manager? Is he going to be next to Sir Alex? Is he going to be in the Sir Alex wing and the Winger <laughs> wing, or is he going to be next to Stephen Gerrard for for, for all time? Like that, he's there for a player. So I don't care that he's in the Hall of Fame as a midfielder. It could can he still play? I mean, Chelsea could still use one. Uh, 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 the the best goal scoring midfielder of all time. They could sure use that. If that's not reflective of his ability as a coach, he just got sacked from Everton. They they didn't say formally sacked Everton manager, like damn near relegated. Yeah. <laughs> if it was if it was just Coming Frank Lampard like, nah. if Frank Lampard hadn't t- taken the Everton job in between leaving Chelsea, I'd have gone, yeah, okay, give give Lampard another run at this, whatever. <laughs> but because I've seen that Everton team and I've watched them play and I've gone, Lampard has maybe maybe learned some lessons from the Chelsea thing. So one of the big problems with his Chelsea team was we had very little idea of what Frank Lampard wanted to do out of possession. And the immediate thing Tuchel does when he comes in is we have five men behind the ball at all times. And one of those five men behind the ball is N'Golo Kante. Whereas Lampard tried pushing Kante forward and whatnot. And Tuchel's side was way more organized, way more structured, very good at counter-pressing. And lo and behold, good things happened because the squad was good. Lampard's in charge. You didn't really know. Then you watch the Everton team. They were slightly better out of possession. Now, I can't really tell you how much improvement, how much he'd improve and how much is to do with the fact that he had to because the player, you know, when you have N'Golo Kante, you can be a little bit more reckless in your defensive plan, but he didn't have one. Uh, And, you know, I think what Lampard did for Alex Iwobi in bringing Onana was good. And Mm -hmm. he definitely has the the ability to convince players to come to football clubs. But Everton weren't good for a long time under Lampard. So now he's back at Chelsea and you still got those questions as to what did Chelsea want to do when they're out of possession. You've got those questions as to, I can't quite tell what you're good at as a manager outside of give some attacking freedom and convince players in the transfer window. The transfer window question isn't really a good one because you're not, you're only interim manager. So mm-hmm. now what? And I think the, the defeat to Wolves is a good now what, right? I mean, Lampard only had one training session with Chelsea 
as far as we understand, the, the previous two in the week were with the assistants. Chelsea still have a Champions League game, right? There, there's still <laughs> something in this season. And yeah, you can say massive underdogs, but this Real Madrid team are beatable. No. this I, Well, I mean, this, <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't, you know, how, how, let me put this another way. Uh, no. This Real Madrid team aren't playing well in La Liga. That is different from saying they're beatable in the Champions League. If that makes sense. I mean, if you say so, but I, this not Chelsea aren't capable of beating them. Like City, City can beat them. Bayern can beat them. Maybe Napoli could beat them. But are Chelsea capable of beating them? Is the question that has to be asked here. With Graham Potter, probably not. With Frank Lampard, certainly not. With Thomas Tuchel, maybe he could come up with that miraculous plan that he did in was it twenty twenty one? But the level of miracle that I'm expecting that one should expect to happen if Chelsea were to win is biblical. <laughs> and I'm not, I, I don't think I can convince myself that the guy who got sacked 19th in the Premier League, despite all the good players that were there, in the little bit of football that we saw against Bulls, that wasn't exciting at all. I mean, I, I'm appreciative of like four at the back and four, three, three. Like I like that. I like watching that style of football that he, that he tried, but the team just isn't, it's not clicking. And Madrid seemed to be getting into their their swing. The same way that people conceptualize Manchester City at the end of the season in terms of like their Premier League run that like they won't lose. Mm. Madrid have that same thing, but in the Champions League, where it's like you can see them getting into their strides. It's just whoever's in their way, they're just going to get rid of them. It just so happens to be Chelsea this time. Now, maybe... You know, if you if you look at the patterns and, you know, you look at the tea leaves or whatever, it could be, well, Chelsea uh, are so bad and Madrid should win by so much that football will just all of a sudden magically gift Chelsea this win because of, you know, how the patterns are. But that's asking me to have faith. And <laughs> faith is what? Belief in things not seen. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm messing up my, my Sunday school. Um, but, yeah, I don't have it. You know, I need to see the the holes in the hands if we want to use the Easter reference. So <laughs> call me Downing Thomas. Now, I will give Lampard the, oh God, <laughs> slight caveat of that Everton team doesn't look blessed with talent anymore. A, he a shouldn't be 19th in the league, Carl. Uh, they should be 19th in the league, but they've got no strike. They've got no striker, right? They've got no one who can reliably put the ball in the back of the net because Dominic Calvert-Lewin now is injured to the point where he's approaching theoretical football player. And <laughs> they're giving they're giving minutes to Sims, who is just... I mean, they've recalled Sims from alone in January to put him in there. Mm-hmm. And it's a massive jump in quality to where he was on loan. And he just looks not premium. Can I counter your point really. with this? Because like I, I will I will be sympathetic to the point that Everton don't have goal scorers, okay? Yeah. But Chelsea have played more games in the Premier League than they've scored goals. Mm-hmm. They're scoring less than a goal a game is another way to yep. say that. How is Frank Lampard gonna fix that? I don't know. And that I suppose that's the big question. How does how does Frank Lampard fix Chelsea's problems? Uh, to answer that question another question, how does any manager fix these problems right now? <sighs> I mean, if only, I mean, this is why I knew selling uh, loaning Lukaku was a bad idea. I yeah. mean, I, I got why they did it, but it was a bad idea. He was their leading goal scorer last season, I think. 15, 16 goals all come. I saw Aubameyang come on. I was like, oh, yeah, he still exists. <laughs> like minutes, right? I was like, oh, wow, he played. Like, he actually played. So they lost uh, Broja to a bad knee injury. Yep. I guess he would have been the, the striker Potter would have turned to. They signed uh, Fofana from Norway. He has played maybe three, four games. I don't think he's played enough to have a judgment on him. And then Aubameyang, just whatever that was, I don't know. Um, they bring him in. They bring him in because Tushu wanted a strike and brought him in, and then Tushu got sacked weeks afterwards. Weeks after, like, and then the Havertz, Havertz is... is in the number nine. So, no. so, so if we're talking how to, if Lampard struggles to find goals in teams that don't have them. Mm-hmm. How does he get goals from Chelsea? You might just say better players, but if they were better players, they'd have more than one goal in a game, at least in the league. Yes, um, I think a decent amount of Chelsea's problems can be summed up with Kai Havertz is not a number nine, and neither is João Felix. Mm. Uh, and I think I've spoken to before about on this podcast how there's 
at any point in time, there's three teams in Europe that would be improved by having Olivier Giroud. But I think right now, who's the big sort of team that would be improved by having Olivier Giroud up front is is Chelsea, right? They need someone up front who can hold the ball up and ping it to and play triangles with all these tricky inside forwards and wingers. Uh, Raheem Sterling looks really different from his peak versions at Man City. He looks like he's, you know... That was nice. Which got just... too many too many miles on the clock. Uh, and, I mean, you've you got to think about this. Nkuku's coming in next season, <laughs> which is just bizarre, right? This is a Chelsea team that we know when the Potter sacking was made, there were players getting changed in the corridor because there's just too many people around. It, it's, it, it feels unmanageable, and yet you've given it to someone who, by all accounts, is regarded as n- not a great Premier League manager. Did you know that Frank Lampard, I'm glad you said that, Frank Lampard doesn't have his UEFA Pro license. <laughs> yeah. he, he has his UEFA A license, but he doesn't have the Pro license, but he's got three Premier League jobs. How do you yeah. explain that? James Corden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not what you know here, it's who you know, which is why like, it annoys me when people have these conversations about like the Rooney rule and black managers this. I'm like, you know what you'd have to do in order to get actual equity and equality with these types of situation? You would have to give people brain transplants. <laughs> That's yeah. he, he got the Derby job because his uncle knew the guy. Then he gets Bouch, Chelsea yeah. because he's a Chelsea legend. Then he gets he waited long enough to where Everton were like, all right, we'll try him. Then he gets Chelsea again. So that's four jobs. Four jobs without your pro license. I find that shocking. I wish but him all the best. It's not. I it? wish him all the best. And I think if you can get a I valiant do. defeat against Real Madrid, he'd probably be a Premier League manager in his next job rather than a championship manager. Which I mean, he might need to be a championship manager to further perfect what he needs to be. But he's on the treadmill now. Good luck to that man. Uh, any Little other managerials? Okay, let's do this. Yeah. What did you make of it? Game of the season. It was game of the me. season. Premier League game of the season. It was up there in terms of in terms of how much I was entertained. Ah. Uh, um, oh. It's it's. I mean, you know, Liverpool seven, Man United nil did not entertain me. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. But um, uh, in, in terms of the games yeah. where I've been most entertained, uh, Chelsea two, Tottenham Hotspur two, when Conte and Tuchel were in charge. This mm-hmm. Liverpool 2, Arsenal 2. I was thoroughly entertained by Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2. Yeah, those are the immediate ones that come to mind as, to, as the great games that had me making all sorts of noises when I was watching on TV. Mm. Are you someone that watches games with like edge of your seat? Like you get really into them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, when um, Ramsdale made that triple, that three saves in the last 10 minutes, I was like, oh, oh, that I was doing the gif of, Joe Rogan, when he's grabbing the entire bench, like, oh my God. <laughs> my excitement is like situational. Uh-huh. So like when Benzema scored against PSG last year or the Mbappe goal in the World Cup final, like I'll, I'll go like, oh, you know, but I don't have it anymore. <laughs> like, oh, no. I've seen, I've, it's kind of like I've seen that before. I don't know what it is. It's just like, yeah, seen... this is football. I think do, do you know what, about... you know, it's, it's like how I imagine Martin Tyler feels. But then gets right. criticized for. Martin Tyler has seen the greatest things in football ever. Then uh-huh. he comes to the Premier League and they ask him, "Please drum up a sight, drum up excitement for Martinelli goal against Fulham." And they're like, "Oh, Martin Tyler hates Arsenal." It's like he doesn't hate Arsenal. It's just like, bro, I'm 77. How old he is? <laughs> I've seen it all. Like I've been, I've been at World Cup finals, Champions League finals, like, and I've been here since nineteen, whenever television started. It's just like that's kind of how I feel. Like, and obviously, like, not to not to discredit the work that Martin Tyler's put in or to put myself on his level, but it's just like I feel like I've watched enough football to be I like, think- ah, I, I, it, it doesn't excite me in the same way. But when- I can get excited dependent on just the situation. When Martin Tyler is locked in, like the, Martin Tyler clearly has another level that he unlocks for special games. Yeah, he's the goal. And and he has kept that special level reserved at points this season where you might expect him to be otherwise more excited. Which, I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely why some people have gone, oh, why isn't it going to be more excited? And you're bang on and saying, well, he's seen nearly everything, right? <laughs> um, and I think, you know, the, the great Martin Tyler call is the Aguero one 
mm-hmm. not just the Aguero, but the bit he does afterwards in that there's a noticeable pause when Sergio is taking his shirt off and running to the corner. And you can very clearly tell Tyler's gone to his co-coms, don't say anything right now. And he goes, I swear you'll never see anything like this again. So drink it in. And he just stays quiet. Tyler's great, not just because he gets really excited and makes loads of ridiculous noises when you need to make ridiculous noises, but he also (laughs) knows when to not say anything. That's a sign of a great commentator. Also, like, Um, if you get gassed over every goal, like, mm -hmm. it's, do do you know, like, when you watch, I don't know if you watch clips and hear, like, some some of the games I'll watch in Spanish, when they go, goal, like, when they hold out goal for, like, two minutes for a tap-in, it's not drumming up the same level of excitement because you've rinsed it if I could borrow a phrase from from the UK, like they've rinsed the celebration. Yeah. So when Tyler gets animated on that level, when it's drunk, like when he gives you that level, it's because something amazing just happened. Then I'm going to save that. It's it's like, if you listen to Whitney Houston sing the Mm -hmm. first chorus, she doesn't hit you with it yet. Like you, you can hear it's there, but she waits until like the crescendo to really hit you with, Oh, that's the voice, right? You have to keep something reserved so when so when like the moment calls for it it hits and that's kind of how i feel about when when i'm watching football now it's like i need i've I've reserved emotion i don't know what it is maybe i'm just over the sport i don't know but like when 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 it hits that level i know and then i'm like ah like when Mbappe hit that for two two i ran around the house i'm not french i don't care but bruh like oh, I'll tell you when Bobby Firmino hit that for two two against Arsenal, I'm like, see, Oi. I'm just like, it's just, it's just a league match. I'll, I'll put it this way: I didn't go ah, I didn't, I didn't shout in the same when the Mbappe game go put going, but I went hello. Yeah, what? Well, yeah, I was like, bro, like that is a great header. I was like, hello, we could. And I didn't know. Actually, what got me more excited, I'll, I'll say, was the nutmeg that Alexander Arnold did on Zinchenko. I was like, there you go. And then and then he crossed it in and then Firmino scored. But I was I was more excited about the dribble hooper. because that's that's me. Hooper. Like that's where I get my excitement. Like he totally disrespected All right, him. <laughs> All right then. But yeah, I thought I thought it was yeah. a fantastic game. Uh, it, it has that wonderful ingredients where it was good football, but it was also moments of good football players playing quite badly. We saw yeah. the good bits of Trent. We saw the bad bits of Trent. We saw Bobby Firmino still rise it one last time, and, and we saw this Arsenal team that is just man. When this Arsenal team click. They're, they're something special. So I yeah, greatly enjoyed that. What about you? Do you think this game will have title ramifications? Definitely, definitely. Um, there were a few spots along the way, if you look at Arsenal's remaining fixtures, where you thought they might drop points there. Going mm-hmm. to Anfield was one such place, and they dropped two points. It puts City back in control. If City win the rest of their games because they play Arsenal, mm-hmm. they win the league. I think they have a game in hand on Arsenal. So they would win the league, I think, by a point or maybe goal difference or whatever it would be. So it's it's in City's hands if they win their games. Um, that wasn't the case before. So, of course, it'll have title ramifications. But as I've always said, you know, as, as I was alluding to earlier with um, Madrid um, and them kind of getting into their stride, I don't know if this Manchester City team should be given the same credit as one's past. And that okay. they can just and, and that they can just bulldoze the rest of the 10, 9, 8 games remaining. I can see it. Mm-hmm. But whether or not I believe it is is another thing. How would I word it? If they were capable of doing it, they wouldn't need to be in the position to do it. Right. Yeah. It's the, uh, who was I talking to before? Maybe it was even you on a previous podcast. Mm. In, in, you know, you, you watch a 1500 meter race in the Olympics. You know, you, 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 you go to a track meet and you know, there's one person who can just switch it on. So you have the you know first lap, you got all these people in front, and this person is just sort of not at the front of the pack, but just behind it. And you're watching them, and you're going, ah, oh, this person's going to kick it in in gear and pull ahead when they need to. And see, you've got closer, and they've got closer, and they've got closer, and we're all watching them going, when are they going to kick it in? When are they going to go put on the burners and run to the front and outstrip the the leading pack and be out and out in front? Mm-hmm. And before they've done it, right? They've been they've had the been kick. Or more- They've had, yeah, they kicked in. Talk to Liverpool fans. There were times where Liverpool fans, like, at some point, they're going to slip. And then City win 14 games in a row, and you're like, what's the point? Uh, or, you know, as a United fan, there's been times where I'm going, oh, why won't they drop points? Uh, and, you know, there's loads of Liverpool fans who are quite annoyed that they've had seasons where they finished with 95 plus points and not won anything, whereas now it looks like whoever wins the Premier League won't need to hit 90. Maybe. You peaked at the wrong time, bros. 
Right. Yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. yeah. Talk, go talk to Pochettino Spurs about peaking at the wrong time. It happens. Um, Interestingly enough, their peak coincides with Liverpool winning a Champions League. Spurs. Mm. But anyway, go for it. So that, that's what's going on. This this is the time. If if City are going to hit the afterburners and win, they have to do it now. And they have mm. to beat Arsenal. So this draw, I can't say, you know, a lot of people said this draw puts a title back in Man City's hands. So Arsenal fans saying this draw doesn't really change anything. Uh, and now everyone is trying to buy tickets or is talking about their plans, where you're going to be for City, Arsenal. Because that's that's it. Like, it's now getting to blockbuster proportions. I'm going to assume there's going to be an hour and a half preamble on TV before it happens. <laughs> and I'm probably going to try and watch it with friends rather than watch it at home by myself. Right now, before it happens, you know, this is this, we're recording this Tuesday, the, the 11th of April. Who's going to win that game? City. And we, 2-1. We'll, 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 we'll bring up justifications later on. Uh, what is your prediction right now? Oh, I'm not doing that. Not yet. <laughs> not it's, yet. It's you're 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 tapping your inner half hope. I'm not predicting mm-hmm. anything because I might be wrong. Um, yeah, I think the game is at the Etihad, so two one, a calm two one. But then games that get hyped tend to end in draws. That's my that's my small theory that I have no proof over. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What about what about your people? Manchester United. What's going on over there, over on that side? They got the win. They beat Everton on, on mm-hmm. Saturday in the early kickoff. Good news. Anti Martial seems to be back from injury, uh, as does Christian Eriksen. Bad news. Marcus Rashford went off clutching his groin. Yeah, we man. don't know about Rashford's groin injury. I'm going to find out more. my fantasy team, bro. I'm going to find out more tomorrow because I'll be going to the Europa League press conference. They're playing the Europa League against Sevilla on Thursday. I will be in attendance at Old Trafford. Things are good. I'll call it a B grade right now. They seem in a pretty good chance of finishing the top four. I'd say now the chances are more likely going to finish fourth rather than third because Newcastle seems to be in pole position for third place. But the vibes are good. Uh, ask me again next week and the vibes might not be good because we might have news about Rashford and we might have news about a not great game against Sevilla. But right now I'm feeling quite confident. I think Manchester United should beat Sevilla quite comfortably because they've not had a great La Liga season. If it, if it wasn't if it wasn't severe in the Europa League, I wouldn't be scared. But because it is, I'm quite shook. If that makes sense. They're, they're the Real Madrid of the Europa League. <laughs> this is it. I know something. You know, they've 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 aimed to be in the Europa League, right? That they've made great efforts to to stay in that middle band because they think, and they you know they've quite readily identified it as a great trophy that can that can do well for a, a club of that size rather than try and speed into the Champions League ahead of schedule. United to get top four, yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you think Spurs can can catch no. you guys? No? no, I'm not. I'm too old to be afraid of Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> That's a good boy. Um, what was the what was the follow up question to that? I saw a story today that said Harry Kane to Manchester United is like the perfect summer signing. Um, what would you make of Kane joining? United, do you think that would work? Yeah, yeah. Look, Harry Kane is Harry Kane's one of the best strikers of his generation. I think he's, you know, he's he's England's record goal scorer. He's Spurs' record goal scorer. He's a phenomenal football player who apparently seems to be cursed with the luck of Lancelot or Moses. But if he went to Manchester United, I think Eric Ten Hag would love having him. I think he would greatly work in that tactical scheme. We know he's got a good playing relationship with Marcus Rashford and his ability to drop deep and pass as well as finish chances with that top spin finish and in his other finish that you saw against Everton would make him a fantastic addition. The question is how much money would it take for him to get out of Tottenham Hotspur when he's only got one year in his contract? And is it a good idea to pay that much money for a player that old where you could perhaps spend a similar amount of money for a younger player who might have a little bit more explosive pace? Would you rather have Kane or Osimhen? Ha! That's a good question that I'm not answering. Because I saw your video on Osimhen. 
which was Thank good. You. you did it Thank for you. was it Tifo? I did do it for Tifo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> who would you rather have? I'm not answering that question. On, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. As of Tuesday, April 11th, uh, uh-huh. who would you rather have, Kane or Osime? Uh, you know, you know what? Okay, okay. I've oh. never tweeted it. I've never tweeted it. I've never said it vocally. But I think it, you should you should divide it into to money. So if you have a hundred million plus to spend on a striker, you should be trying to buy either Harry Kane or Victor Osherman. And let's say you've got somewhere between sixty to eighty million. You should be going to Roma and talking about Tammy Abraham. If you've got sixty million, let's talk to Brian. Not after about, this season. Yeah. How much do you think Tammy will cost? They bought him for forty, so forty-five. At least, so you, you need at least six. You need more than forty to start a conversation. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put Tammy at the sixty price range. Mm-hmm. I'll put Evan Ferguson at the sixty million price range. Okay, who is that? Evan Ferguson is Brighton striker. He's <laughs> he's from the Republic of, of Ireland. He's just he's having a breakout season for Brighton. Oh, um, okay. I'd say if you've got. Somewhere between forty and sixty million, you might want to have a conversation with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt about Kololo Moani. Apparently, they've already told Bayern Munich that they want eighty million for him, which is when I go, mm, "No, that's too rich for my blood." <laughs> but but again, it's that thing of part of my like, again now part of my estimation of how much these players will cost is to do with the fact I'm a child in nineties, and I might be getting these sums wrong, right? When Nottingham Forest bought Morgan Gibbs White for forty million. I was like, forty million dollars? Who you got, Chelsea Clinton? <laughs> yeah. Um, so may, maybe maybe eighty million for someone like Colin Moani's talents is all right. But this is how I price range it. I also think that every single Premier League club should be trying to get Mark Sturam on a three because he's just he should be your second striker purchase this summer. I think he's very very good. So that's how I price it. I think if. The thing I often say is, if Alex Ferguson was still in charge, he'd be going for Harry Kane. I also, I'd be going for Harry Kane and Evan Ferguson at the same time. Make of that what you will. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Um. All right. I, I think there's two more things left. So, I saved this from the Liverpool Arsenal conversation because I wanted to get over it. Um. What do you make of the referee elbowing Robertson? I'm going to write about this for The Athletic this week. So I don't want to... You know what? Let's use this as a brainstorming session. Okay. Me talking to you about it will actually help my article rather than me not talking about it. My When I saw it, I went, that is bizarre, right? That is utterly bizarre. An elbow, really? Um, and Duncan Alexander, who who's helps set up Opta, is pointed out that the interesting thing about it is while we've got on camera, it, we've not got it from close-up camera. It's all from camera angles from quite far away. But it definitely looks like the assistant referee, whose name I won't mention here, but is now Googleable because Sky Sports ran his name. Uh, <laughs> when Sky Sports ran his name, I was like, oh, mate, you just, why you put a target on his front? Not on the back, yeah, on his front. Mm. Um, but he's, he, this very hench assistant referee, <laughs> he, he's like, that man goes to the gym. That hey. man goes to the gym in a way yeah. that other referees do not. You know, Andy Robinson comes walking over to him uh, and this assistant referee raises his forearm, elbow, towards Andy Robinson uh, and it catches Robinson in the face, the throat area, whatever. And Robinson then is talking to Henderson about everything. He's, like, He's just hit me in the face. Now, it looks to me, and this is me, whatever, in the, have you seen that video of Denzel talking to Jamie Foxx? I'm leaving with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a bit where Denzel, who has combat training, <laughs> has talked about how sometimes when someone walks up to him too quickly, he sticks his elbow out. Denzel says, you know, every now and again, there's someone who wants to get too handsy and gets like too too cushy, and he'll just stick his elbow out. Uh, and Jamie's like, oh yeah, I've seen you because you did it to me in that basically he just puts pressure. You, you're not doing anything, but basically if they come in too hot, they, they hit themselves in the neck. Denzel's like, yeah, you know, you just raise your arm and it's you very politely, politely, but also sternly just like, here is a boundary, do not cross it. And it looks as if this assistant referee may have taken a inspiration from this, shall we say. <laughs> now, mm. should that referee be doing this in a football game? Probably not. 
does he have, you know, do people come up to him too often in his personal space to a point where he might want to go, no, take a step back? Yeah, okay. However, when someone comes up to you and does that and you're in a position of authority, your role isn't to escalate that by sticking your elbow up. Your role is to probably go step back or to himself take a step back. Robinson, as a Liverpool player and is someone who's known for getting referees' faces. Mm. Now, I'm a Manchester United fan, so I have to point out, Bruno Fernandes also gets in referees' faces. He pushed a linesman in the 7-0. Uh, and all of these referees have been harangued and harassed and, and had people like in their faces in a way that is disrespectful to their boundaries. So this assistant referee has uh, appears to have done something was like, no, here's the boundary, go away. Yes. And it's been caught on camera. So now you get to the thing of, should he have done that? The answer is, Probably not, right? And then you go, should this referee be punished for it? And the answer is, maybe, maybe. What do you think of it? So I, I think there, there are two ways you can look at it. Well, there are more than two ways, but there are two ways that I'm choosing to look at it. The first mm-hmm. one is, if, there, if, if you remove referee, you remove the Liverpool kit, and they're just two men walking to each other, or people, I don't know how they identify, two people walking towards each other, and somebody's yelling at you in mm-hmm. a particular way, and I'm not a referee. You're just a guy in my face yelling, and I'm trying to get to where I'm going to. Yeah, I might give you a little elbow, <laughs> just, 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 a little, just, just, just a little chicken wing, just like yo, get, get from off me. Yeah, because because I can imagine like, and I don't want to put this on Robertson, but the way that his his personality is, he's very tenacious and he's aggressive in that way, and he's very. I don't know, just pointed about what he wants and how he thinks the game should be officiated. Like, and we've seen him for four or five seasons at this point. He, that's his personality to get into the referee's face and to try to argue and make his case for the team. Now, who knows? Maybe there was just a coming together and there wasn't a conversation. I, I, I can't imagine the referee just of his own will just gave him something. I don't know. Maybe you'd have to watch the tape and figure out, was there an altercation between the two before? Was he on the side that Robertson was on? Like, was he the linesman on that side? Was there something in the game? Maybe you could do that, not you, but someone could do that work of the first 45 minutes or whatever it was and determine if they had a coming together. That would make it more interesting to me. If it was just a matter of that instance where they came together and he was a bit too close, again, if you remove the Liverpool jersey, the Arsenal jersey, the referee jersey, and somebody just runs up on you as a Mm -hmm. person, I think you're within your right to defend your personal space. Yes. So that's now, one is, element of it. That's but, the argument always happening. However. But, but once you put the Liverpool jersey, the referee jersey, it's no longer just defending your personal space as like a matter of human existence kind of deal. It's I am a person of authority. He's subject to me in a, in a sense because he, obviously he can get him sent off and things like that. Um, so you can use the power at your discretion, meaning go talk to the referee. This player was a bit too... X, Y, Z, yellow card or wherever it might be. You don't have to take the law into your own hands because there's a power imbalance. So that's how I would look at it. It's like mm-hmm. the, the, the referee should be suspended because he didn't access the mechanisms of power that he had available to him to sanction whatever bad behavior Robertson did. He didn't need to throw his elbow because it's not just two men walking past each other. It's a referee walking past a player. And a referee is more powerful than a player. So he didn't need to enforce his his human will over Robertson in that way. I don't think. Now, who knows? <laughs> Maybe Robertson says something crazy to him. <laughs> and it's just, I'm, I'm forgetting I'm a referee at that point. And it's just, no, you've, you've stepped too far. Mm-hmm. And all right, I'm going to give you something. But generally, I don't think I have a problem with the referee being losing his job or wherever else it was, maybe it's just a crazy moment. And I, I, I do think you have, might have to add the Mitrovic incident that happened mm-hmm. last week or the week before last. And maybe there's been like some conversation between referees that like, if a player comes to you, what do you do? And that ref, that linesman might be, I wish him would. I, I can't <laughs> say what I want to say, but I wish it would like, I wish somebody would roll up on me because they're going to get this. Ah, they go get that cold shoulder for real. So maybe he's just one of those people that's just, you know. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't wait for somebody to come and just try to test me. They go get, I, you think I go to the gym on accident? You think his muscles off? Like, this come is, on. So maybe this he's. Is what one person point. said. You don't, you don't go to the gym that often for someone to run up, you, run up on you like and that. And do nothing. Right. Yeah. But, but, but again, 
if that's your mentality, don't be a referee because people are going to run up on you. If, <laughs> so if you, I'm pausing here, it's because I'm literally taking notes. This man is spitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if, if you're going to be a ref, you you can't have that mentality. Like if you if you want that attitude, be a bouncer or be a police officer. But but it, that that might be a good example though. A police a police officer, which I've always equated referees to, <laughs> same, you same. shouldn't escalate the situation to a point where you where you've now taken the law into your own hands. Even if you feel like the person has done you wrong, there there are mechanisms that you can enforce as somebody who's a a, a person in power to get that person sanctioned if they, if indeed crossed the line in some way. You can just go there, yo, hey, I don't know who the the lead ref was, but yo, like he's talking crazy, man, like. That's a booking. And then Robertson would then have to back off and he wouldn't be in your face again because now that he's on a yellow red card, if he was already on a yellow, I don't remember. You get him booked. He's off. Like you made the choice, but you don't need to throw your own physical violence on him on some way because, again, you're, you're, you're not on the high road somewhere. You're on a football pitch. So if, if this assistant referee was sanctioned, do you think that would be an appropriate use of power from PGMOL? It it depends on the message that they want to send because mm-hmm. obviously the, I don't think they're 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 not of the Premier League. I think they're mm-hmm. their own independent institution. If they want to back their guy, kind of like what the police do, like when somebody does a shooting and they get you know they're paid allegedly. Leave off, what's 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 the allegedly? The police backing their boy. No. <laughs> oh, fine, <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> you know, if if they want to take the stance of like we're backing our guy no matter what. I mean, they could do that, but I, th- I think that would put them into some level of disrepute. That So like you sanction players being hit, well, then it's open season. Because if a player <laughs> thinks that the referee can come up and hit them and without sanction, <laughs> Mitrovic is licking his lips. You know, it's like, all right, like if, if, if that's the door you're opening. One thing so, I, yeah. I talked to my editor-in-chief about is, you know, breaking called Robertson a baby, saying, why are you crying for the referee sitting in your face, you big baby? And I was like, eh, okay. Now, the thing that got me was football, to some extent, is a play. Right? Like drama? It, it's, yeah, it's like drama. It's okay. a play. This is why, in my my belief, right, there's a level of pageantry and pantomime and there's a play, which is why, put it this way, why do we why do we do goal celebrations? Because we're happy. Right? But, think, but yeah. so when you do musical theater, you talk until you're overcome with emotions and you start singing. And then when you're overcome with more emotions, then you start to dance. So in football, you play football, you do your role as an actor, which is play football, and then you're mm-hmm. so overcome with emotions, you score, and then that's the point where you start taking your shirt off and doing a celebration, right? Oh, wow. That's, I'll, I'll find a cleaner way to write that in a piece. Um, so every football player has a role, if you think of it as actors and whatnot. Now, the referee, and you, know, you can make this even further in that as a journalist, I'm a narrator or whatever, and, and all of us watching at home are the audience, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Now, the referee's role in the play is an observer, really, or, or someone who reminds you of some certain lines. Or let's say, no, actually, the manager reminds you of certain lines. The referee there is to just make sure everyone is in keeping with the rules, right? You, you don't want to break the fourth wall, so to speak. And I think a lot of the red cards, and you know, if you think of red cards and yellow cards, is the referee going, no, you've, you've broken your cue as an actor. You've gone above the, what the theater wants. So the reason why you see play acting sometimes is, you know, you're, you're going, I need this person to properly enforce the rules of the play. Mm-hmm. This is why we all get really, really stunned when there's real violence on a football field. Because we're used to like theater violence. Handbag. If I, yeah. If I'm watching, <laughs> if I'm watching Titus Andronicus or Hamlet and someone stabs him, I'm just, and it's something blood spurts out. I think that's sheep's blood, right? Whereas... <laughs> If it's I'm watching, Whoa, but you know, there's been times when I've watched a play and <laughs> an actor's turned to the audience and said, shut the fuck up. Mm. Apologies for swearing. And you're like, whoa, what, why have you done that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And that's that, like, there's that shock, which is a bit similar to when you watch a game of football. If someone hops out of the stadium and charges at a football player and punches them, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not meant to get on stage. Mm. Please tell me if I'm going wrong here. So this referee bit was the referee not doing his role within the play. Robinson coming up to him and yelling at the referee is now accepted as one of the roles a football player can do, right? As part of your role as an actor, as a football player, right. you are now allowed to harass a referee. You shouldn't, <laughs> but we've accepted that. And yeah. this assistant referee has responded to this by doing something we've just 
never, I ain't never seen that before. I don't think I no. Well, <laughs> I haven't seen that. It, I haven't it, seen that in a Premier League game, before. right? Because in South America, I have yeah, seen yeah, yeah. a referee back out the tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in South America, I've seen a man in, oh, in Mexican football. I've seen a referee yeah. knee a football player in the balls. You this, know? No, that this one referee, he pulled out a gun. He had the strap yeah, ready because, right. like, I, they, I, they get down different. It might have been Central South. I don't know what was going on, but yes, I I, I agree with. Have, have with I your... made sense there? Is that eight hundred words worth of? Pros. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you can you. get eight hundred out of this as long as you explain it correctly. Thank you very much. But the 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 thing I would say is that perhaps he made the right decision as a man or just as a person, as a human being. Perhaps he made the right decision. We don't know. We mm-hmm. don't know what Robertson said. We don't know their interaction during the game. I'm sure. Again, you could do research. So maybe in the context of human beings, he made a rational decision. What we know for sure is that in your role or in your job as a referee, you've made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing we should judge you on if that's... we're judging referees, if we're judging what's happening on the football pitch. Because again, they're not out there in street clothes. It's a Premier League, it's a, you know, it's a Premier League production. Is that where we're going with? Yeah. Like yeah. you've you've made the wrong choice. And we know that 100 percent for sure. Like that shoulder, like that's not, no, you shouldn't do that. As a referee to a, to a player or to a player to a referee, like that that interaction should not be happening here. Now, see, now that's interesting. If they really had beef, and there was some you know entanglement between the two, if they do it out of sight, if they go to the tunnel and they go to one of the Anfield rooms and they hash it out mm-hmm. in private, I wonder what that is. But in broad daylight, the referees made the wrong decision. Robertson is right to feel aggrieved that mm-hmm. he he hit me because he did, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like you won on some level that you might have gotten back at Robertson in your own way, maybe even without thinking about it. Maybe it was just like a, a reaction. He was too close. Bam! Like I didn't even really think about it. But but you got your win there. But it's an ultimate loss. Is a question. Yeah. Is a thought provoke thought provoking question that goes nowhere. If this altercation happens in the tunnel or slash anywhere where there's not cameras. Do you think Robinson goes, he's punched me in the face? Or do you think he's like, I I was acting a fool? If there's no cameras, Robinson punches back. Thank you. <laughs> like, you see, now this is the interesting part, at least to me, um, and we can end here because we've been going a bit long, but... If another player does that to Robertson, Robertson collapses on the pitch and rides around and does his whole thing. Because, as you say, it's part of the play. It's part of the theater. I don't think he runs around and tries to go get his captain to go talk to the referee. I think he was actually so so shocked that it happened to him that that was his natural, real reaction. Yeah. The pantomime is somebody hits you kind of hard so, or soft, whatever. Like when when, when, when when two players come head to head and one leans in, and then somebody just collapses to the floor. Like the force wasn't enough to put you on the ground, but you know, going on the ground might get them sent off. If that was Xhaka and Robertson, Robertson collapses to the ground, rolls around and hopes that Xhaka gets sent off for the better of the team. You know, you're not going to get the referee sent off. So your best recourse now is to actually do what should be done. And you go get your captain and you go tell. (laughs) Like, bro, did you not see what happened? So that's interesting to me. Robertson's reaction depending on who did it to him, probably would have been different. I think what you've also just pointed out here is interesting is going to your captain and going to tell is what you should do. Regardless of who, every time. (laughs) Every time. Right? Which is also the thing about the play in that Robertson is so shocked. He does the right thing according to the rule book. (laughs) <laughs> but he doesn't do the right thing according to what the play, which is now Premier League Productions, is used to. Exactly. Like um, if if Robertson really wanted to get the referee, he does what he would do if a player did it to him. Mm-hmm. He collapses to the ground. He rolls around. The referee stood there like, "Hey, yo, like what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got that and really. The, good... And then the referees, like the the the, the lead official, would then look at the linesman like, "Bro, what did you do? And does he book him? <laughs> does he take out the red yeah. card? No." But, You've got that yeah. really good comparison with the fact that, I mean, Harry Kane. Harry Kane falling down after mm. the Corey claws his face. That was the right thing to do. Kane, Kane's been hit in the face. 
And the correct thing to do is Harry Kane to go talk to his captain. I mean, Kane probably is the captain when Lloris is injured. Yeah. Um, yeah. The correct thing to do is go, excuse me, captain, could you please talk to the referee? I've been called in the face. That's what the rule book says you should be doing. However, you can't the, put the, play, the referee seeing it in his, like you have to take it into your own hands. Yes. Yes. You know, yeah, but but Robertson was like, I can't take it into my own hands against the referee. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go get help. So we went for Henderson. But yes, um, I I wish you luck in your piece. I do think the play thing it works to an extent. So go for Thank it. You. Uh, succeed. Oh, one last thing. One one last thing. Now you tell me if you can hear this, okay? And I will play it. And we got one question from the people. Are you ready for it? It's from Lenny in Bristol. Here we go. Hi, boys. This is Lenny from Bristol. Big up your show. Uh, my question is, why on earth is Gareth Southgate still England manager? Gets me, man. Gets me. <laughs> so, Lenny in Bristol, thanks for thanks for leaving the voice note. Um, Carl, this is your neck of the woods. <laughs> why is Gareth Southgate still England manager? In a paragraph, if you can. Because he's good at it. Wow. Right? And and hi, Lenny. Thank you for asking the question. I think Gareth Southgate is a good England manager. I think he's the best England manager England's had this century. And I think, I mean, I can give you statistical evidence that he's basically better than every other England manager apart from the one that won the World Cup. Now, please take everything I've said or about to say with the information that I watched England play every single game of Euro 2020. So I watched them up close I definitely got swept along a little bit by England getting to that final. And if there is a fault against Gareth Southgate is he blew it. He blew that final. Uh, he It was painfully obvious after the 50th minute that the 3-5-2 was getting turned into a five at the back. And he probably should have made some changes in central midfield. He probably, he should have, not even probably, he should have made changes in central midfield. He should have adapted. Uh, Cellini and Bonucci swapped marking responsibilities on Harry Kane and we were and England were holding on for dear life. <laughs> I heard what you did. <laughs> the self <laughs> You said we England. <laughs> yep. They were holding on for dear life. Oh, and man. and from, from the hour mark you're going make a sub Gareth, make a sub. Mm-hmm. And once Italy equalize, it then England have nothing left. And that that was the chance, right? England are never in, in your lifetime. England are unlikely to host another international football tournament. England, nah. I think the They're way FIFA definitely is going, host one. I think the way FIFA is going and and the expense of hosting international tournaments. I think England are less likely to host an international tournament, men's international tournament, I should say, mm. um, in the near future. So oh, I did that, see that like 650,000 tickets were sold for the Women's World Cup in the summer, like within some matter yeah, of days. Yeah. So it's in Australia and New Zealand. So that should be fun. Yep. But yeah, so, I, I think he's good at it is a good answer. So you got that going on. He's good at it and he's also missed his best chance of winning an international tournament. Plus like the talent available is going to ensure that you keep a job, especially in international football. England have one of the best. They have top five, six, yeah. seven squads and, in the and world. And I think what's interesting about Southgate is the, the World Cup in 2018, they overperformed. They were playing uh, set-piece heavy football mm. and Croatia, Croatia were better than in the semi-final and France would have beat them in the final. The Euros, he should have won that. Once, once they get to the final, he should have found a way to outmaneuver Mancini and he just doesn't do it because he is... If there is a thing Southgate isn't good at, is he is that he often comes into games with a preset plan and he doesn't adapt his plan despite what his eyeballs are telling him. Tell a lot. Not despite what his eyeballs are telling him, despite what our eyeballs are telling us. <laughs> he, Southgate holds firm in his own convictions, which mm. very often works. You know, we're gonna telling the players to take the knee, sending certain players home, not playing, not bringing certain players into the swap. Fine. In terms of substitutes, that can be quite annoying. I think it's also important to say Gareth Southgate isn't really taking the training. Like a lot of this comes from Steve Holland, how England play. A lot of what Southgate does is basically making sure the vibes in the dressing room are are immaculate and making sure everyone in that team plays with the correct intensity and knows what their job is. Can I bring this full circle? One of the suggestions I've heard for where Chelsea should have gone post-Potter 
was Steve Holland. Steve Holland was a Chelsea assistant manager for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he left to take the to be Gareth Southgate's second whenever he got the job, mm-hmm. I think 2017, 2018. But for years, he was Chelsea's number two. Um, and I think he was caretaker manager once or twice. Um, and that was a suggestion that a lot of Chelsea fans had. Like, England don't have any games until, I think, next fall, somewhere around there, like the next international break. So it would have been cool for Steve Holland to come back and, as you say, like give some tactics to what's going on. But they've gone with, you know, a vibes band, you know. I think he got the World Cup right. I think if you look to the mm. celebrations France did after beating England, that France team knew that was one of their strongest tests. Um, and England didn't beat France because Harry Kane skied a penalty. Yeah. It's hard it's hard to legislate for that, right? You played the best team, you played arguably the best team in Europe and you were a penalty short from equalizing. Okay, fine. Um but that should, that happens, that happens. That happens. Yeah. Should he be taking England to the Euros? Eh. No. All right. Yeah. Is- <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way. I was after the Nations League where the, you know England just got XG'd. The England were good on XG but completely battered by Hungary and everyone else. I was like, oh, this is gonna end awfully at the World Cup. England performed exactly to par at the World Cup. Everyone thought they were going to get to the quarterfinals. And they have it. I Now that Graham Potter is available, <laughs> right? Now that Graham Potter is available, you can start having the conversation with Gareth and the rest of the FA as to, should we bring in Potter for the next stage? Because Southgate might have taken these lads as far as possible. However... The what? I'm sorry. This is a really long answer. Uh, again, I, again, I watched every single game at the Euros, and I, I, th- I like to think I know quite a lot about how the England team works in a way that quite you know a lot of the arguments against Southgate just aren't true, based on what I know how the England team works. Um, now Potter's available. You should probably have a conversation with him about whether or not he wants the job, either at the Euros or after the Euros. Full stop. Paragraph. Next sentence. Now the way the Chelsea went thing went with Potter. You also need to have a question about him. Is he the sort of person who's in charge, who can run a dressing room with that much talent and that many egos as an England team will get? Because also, you know, if the Chelsea boys are calling you Hogwarts and give you similar <laughs> nicknames oh to what Half Hope is calling you, what do you think the tabloids are going to do? <laughs> so but here's the that, thing. That is, you know, short answer is he's good. Long answer is... <laughs> you see, I, I think just my little two cents... Potter works, I think, better for England in the sense that it's not an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. I think Potter b- having like s- slight interactions with the team, like one week at a time here, one week at a time here, two weeks at a time here. Like I feel like that might be better for him in dealing with the egos than mm. constant everyday on the training pitch interaction with stars who have big egos, big transfer fees. A, a huge squad that you really don't have any control over. With England, you get to select who's in. There's only 26, maybe it'll go back to 23, maybe not, but 26 players that you get to decide. I mean, I feel like that would be better for him. Like he could really create probably a more Brighton-esque uh, situation than than what Chelsea is. I think at Chelsea, it was just, it's not just you you're dealing with. You're also dealing with James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> so well said. So, you know. All right, but you, would James Corden have any effect on the England team? No. <laughs> James, Corden, James Corden was on. How England's famous is World he Cup. really? James Corden was on England's World Cup song going into the 2010 World Cup. Oh, wow. don't forget. Don't there forget. We go. All right, this has been Talking Tactics. Carl, thank you. Where can people get your work again? Uh, you'll find my work on the Athletic. Uh, you'll hopefully find a written piece of the conversation we've just had about referees sometime this week. Uh, if you're a Manchester United fan, I'll be writing about United's game against Sevilla in the Europa League. Uh, and, and I think I'll also be heading over to both of the FA Cup Ooh. semi-finals for Manchester United as well. So I'll be going Wembley. to women's, the Women's FA Cup semi-final, which is this weekend. And then fingers crossed, I'll be going to Wembley on the 23rd. And do, writing up do, do the women play their FA Cup finals in Wembley as well? They do not. Interesting. Uh, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I don't like semi-finals being played at Wembley. I think those semi-finals should be played in a neutral venue that is nice geographically for the teams involved. Um, I'm old enough to remember when the FA Cup semi-finals were played at Villa Park and I still think that's where FA Cup semi-finals should be played. 
So only finals at Wembley. Yeah, only finals at Wembley, but club Wembley and money after make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, three games is better than one. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah. Talking Tactics Podcast. You can follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. I'm at Daniel to look. Follow over there. You can catch my writing at Off Target. If I feel like typing through the pain, I think I'm going to type about or write about Romelu Lukaku and the racism incident that happened in Italy and the idea of how come fans are racist when they have black players on their team. That's when I hear a lot. So I'm like, I have an mm-hmm. answer for you. So I will get into it. So there we go. Um, remember to follow Half Hope YouTube channel, halfhopefootballhut.com. It's all there. Yeah, links are in the description. Thank you guys for listening. Shout out to Lenny from Bristol for the question. And yeah, Talking Tactics podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. But always football. Have a great week, everyone. We will see you guys next week. Peace. Mm-hmm. Sports Social Podcast Network.